If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Welcome back to Misconduct. I'm your host, Colleen. Generally, I jump right into the episode and tend not to talk about myself personally or comment on world events. However, I can't just proceed with this episode as if nothing is going on. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, I live in the East Bay in California and our country is dealing with a reckoning that has been a long time coming. And I think it is important that everyone uses their voice to speak up loudly against racist institutions that have long been protected in the United States. As a white person, I will never experience racism, but that is not an excuse to turn a blind eye to those who experience it every day. Attend a protest, donate your time or money to any number of causes that are tirelessly fighting for justice and equality. And educate yourselves on our history, especially the origins of our modern-day police force, and what it would look like if we reallocated funding to better serve the needs of our communities. As I mentioned on social media, earnings from this episode and my episode that will be released on June 18th will be donated to two local organizations that are helping free and feed protesters who have been arrested. Finally, the next two episodes will be covering cases where police used excessive and lethal force. Although I know many people would like a break from the current events, I did not feel that I personally wanted to release the episodes that I had previously scheduled. I've moved them to future dates, and this episode will cover the fatal police shooting of Anthony Hill. Anthony was a black-decorated Air Force veteran who served a tour of duty in Afghanistan. And upon returning home, he settled in Chambly, Georgia, outside of Atlanta. He had been suffering from mental health issues and PTSD. On March 9, 2015, the police were called to Anthony's apartment to respond to reports of a naked man behaving bizarrely in the complex. Based on the call, it was clear that the man was suffering from a mental health crisis and needed medical attention. Within minutes of arriving, a DeKalb County police officer named Robert Olson shot Anthony twice, killing him at the scene. This case has been covered extensively since the beginning by the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and has been the subject of Season 7 of their podcast, Breakdown.
Anthony Hill was born in 1988 and raised in Monk's Corner, South Carolina. He was his mother's oldest child and her only son. After graduating from high school, Anthony took an internship with the Berkeley County Sheriff's Office, where he saw firsthand the day-to-day operations and challenges of working in law enforcement. Publicly, Anthony was supportive of law enforcement and the intricacies that came along with working with a variety of different communities. Anthony enrolled in college but dropped out to join the Air Force and was deployed to Afghanistan. In 2013, Anthony was medically discharged from the Air Force after being diagnosed with bipolar disorder. In addition to this diagnosis, Anthony's girlfriend, friends, and family also noted that he struggled with PTSD stemming from his deployment in Afghanistan. Anthony was deployed to Kandahar in 2010, and at this time during the war, Kandahar was the location of frequent suicide bombings and rocket attacks. According to a friend that Anthony confided in, he had a particularly hard time with seeing local children fall victim to the violence that plagued the region. Anthony began to struggle with his mental health while trying to process what he witnessed during his deployment. Anthony was very open about his struggles on social media, and at the time of his death, he had been having issues with the side effects of his medication, including his jaw locking, and he was having trouble sleeping. According to his mother, on the day he was killed, he was not taking his medication. It is believed that stopping this medication could potentially lead to someone being in a disoriented state. At the time of his death, Anthony had been attempting to navigate assistance from the Department of Veterans Affairs, which often comes with its own set of challenges. According to Anthony's loved ones, he often waited on hold for hours trying to get through to someone at the VA. He was also subjected to clerical errors that delayed treatment, such as waiting weeks for his scheduled in-person appointment just to discover that it had been mistakenly booked at a location in Texas hundreds of miles away. Since his discharge from the Air Force, Anthony had established himself in Chambly, Georgia, northeast of Atlanta. According to his girlfriend Bridget, Anthony was looking into going back to school and becoming a barber. He also had an affinity for music, and to those who lived in the apartment complex, he was the friendly neighbor who often took time to stop and talk to the kids who were playing outside. On March 9, 2015, a 911 call was placed by a woman who had reported that her neighbor was behaving erratically. Anthony was reported to have been hanging off of his second-story balcony, and later he was on the ground walking around the complex naked. According to witnesses, he was not behaving in a threatening or dangerous manner. In fact, he was allegedly knocking on doors asking for his medication. Witnesses also saw him lying on the ground and crawling. It was evident to the witnesses, including the 911 caller, that Anthony was in the middle of a mental health crisis and needed help. Robert Olson, a white police officer, was dispatched to the scene and arrived within minutes of the call. Olson had been a member of the DeKalb County Police Department for seven years. Once he arrived on the scene, he quickly located Anthony in the apartment complex parking lot. There were several witnesses on the scene watching the events. Olson stayed in his car for several minutes after arriving. 
When he arrived, Anthony was kneeling on the ground, and it appeared that he was praying. When he saw the police car arrive, Anthony stood up and began walking towards the car. Olson got out of the car and ordered Anthony to stop moving towards him. Anthony was naked and unarmed throughout the entire interaction. Olson's account of the following events was disputed by witnesses at the scene. Olson said that he got out of the car and Anthony charged at him. Witnesses at the scene described it as more of a trot towards him, saying that it was non-threatening and Anthony was not running or charging as Olson had described. When Anthony did not stop moving towards him, Olson drew his gun and shot Anthony twice. A backup patrol car arrived seconds after Olson fired his weapon, but by that time, Anthony was dead at the scene. Olson told the responding backup officer that Anthony had approached him and pounded on his chest before Olson shot him. Olson said he had to shoot Anthony because he was in fear of his life. Witnesses at the scene told nearly identical stories that completely contradicted this claim as false. The two men never made contact. Forensic evidence ultimately showed that Anthony was shot from several feet away, corroborating the witnesses' accounts and proving that Olson was not being truthful in his initial statements to his colleagues. Olson was also armed with a taser and pepper spray, both of which could have been used to subdue Anthony, if needed. The shooting prompted outrage from the community. Olson's actions seemed to perfectly illustrate a recurring issue where police officers use excessive and unnecessary lethal force as their first line of action with little regard for the end result. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. In October of 2015, a little over six months after Anthony was shot, a civil grand jury heard evidence in the case. They heard from the prosecution, who presented expert testimony, who ruled that after reviewing the facts, there was no evidence that supported lethal intervention. In short, the shooting was not justified. In Georgia, there is a rule that applies to grand jury hearings that few other states have. Officers who are the subject of the grand jury hearing are allowed to sit in for the entirety of the proceedings. In addition to that, officers are given the opportunity at the end of the hearing to make an uncontested statement. This means that they are allowed to testify to whatever they want and they are not challenged by the district attorney. This testimony is the last thing that the grand jury hears before they are sent to deliberate. 
and this opportunity presents police officers and law enforcement quite the advantage to present their case before charges are even filed. Olson took advantage of this rule and testified to the grand jury for 20 minutes. He told them that although he did not initially remember telling the other responding officer that Anthony beat on his chest before Olson shot him, he did say that he was in fear of his life. This initial false statement made by Olson would come back to haunt him because many saw the lie as a proactive attempt to cover up his actions. Olson also testified that he was in fear of his life and believed that Anthony was under the influence of PCP or bath salts. Both proved to be false, and Anthony did not have a history of using either drug. An interesting side note from a conversation I had with my mom while I was researching this episode. My mother has been a nurse since the mid-1980s and worked for years in the emergency room and hospitals in L.A., She said that law enforcement routinely would bring in people that had been injured while being detained or while in their custody. When asked what happened, law enforcement would claim that they believed the person was on PCP and that they had to react accordingly. It's widely and incorrectly believed that PCP can give someone temporary superhuman strength when it is just in fact a strong hallucinogen. She went on to say that of all the times police brought in someone who had been injured while in their custody, who claimed that they might be on PCP, she can't think of a time when that person actually tested positive. You can't tell if someone is on PCP by looking at them. It requires a drug test. I mentioned all of that to say that once it was verified that Anthony never pounded on Olson's chest as he originally claimed, Olson speculated in his grand jury testimony that Anthony might have been on PCP or bath salts as a way to justify his actions. Regardless, multiple witnesses confirmed that Anthony's behavior that day was never regressive or threatening to anyone, let alone the responding officer. Despite hearing directly from Olson, the grand jury recommended that charges be filed. And on January 21st, 2016, a warrant was issued for Robert Olson's arrest. He was charged with a total of six counts, two counts of felony murder, one count of aggravated assault, one count of making a false statement, which was a charge that stemmed from Olson claiming that Anthony physically assaulted him before the shooting, and two counts of violating an oath by a public officer, and these two charges were specific to rules in DeKalb County where police officers are required to de-escalate and not resort to lethal force as a first course of action. The charges against Olson were a big deal because this was the first time that an officer in the state of Georgia faced prosecution since 2010. In 2010, an officer was charged with shooting a man in the back of the head, but the DA dropped the charges before it went to trial. So for the first time in a long time, the community had hope that an officer who incorrectly and illegally used lethal force would face justice. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution compiled a list of 184 fatal police shootings that took place in Georgia from 2010 until Anthony's murder. They found that in half of the cases, the victim was either unarmed or shot in the back. On January 25, 2016, four days after he was charged, Robert Olson resigned from his job. He was placed on administrative leave in the initial aftermath of the shooting, but he was paid until he officially resigned. Robert Olson pled not guilty in June 2016, 
and he was released on an $80,000 bond, required to wear an ankle monitor, and required to adhere to a 7 p.m. curfew. Despite entering a plea in mid-2016, the case wouldn't go to trial until 2019. Olson's lawyers tried to have his charges dismissed, citing issues with the grand jury proceedings. This delayed the trial for over a year and ended when the Georgia Supreme Court denied the petition for dismissal and cleared the way for the prosecution to proceed with the trial. However, the case would go through three judges, all who chose to recuse themselves, before a fourth judge assigned to the case agreed to preside. The case was presided over by DeKalb County Superior Court Judge Letitia Deer Jackson, who was elected to her position a year before the trial. On September 26, 2019, more than four years after Anthony was murdered, the jury sat in the courtroom and opening statements were delivered. The defense's case rested on impressing upon the jury the dangers that law enforcement officers face on the job. They also reiterated that Olson was in fear of his life, despite how other witnesses interpreted the situation. The defense asked the jury to consider how often law enforcement must make life-or-death judgment calls in seconds, and not every judgment call has a happy ending. The prosecution hit back with Olson's initial false statement and witness testimony that contradicted Olson's reasoning for being in fear of his life. The prosecution argued that Olson violated his own department's rules and ultimately the law when he decided to shoot Anthony, and they argued that he should be punished accordingly. The felony murder charges alone could carry potential life sentences. The other charges would add up to over three decades in prison if sentenced to the max. The trial lasted 20 days before going to the jury. The jury of 12 was made up of seven women and five men. Five members of the jury were black, five were white, one was Asian, and one was Latino. The jury deliberated for 27 hours across six days before reaching a verdict. As the jury read out the not guilty ruling on the two counts of felony murder, Olson cried at the defense table. Despite the evidence presented by the prosecution, the jury found Olson not guilty of the most serious charges. The ruling came as a devastating blow to Anthony's loved ones. Olson was convicted of the remaining four charges of aggravated assault, making a false statement, and two counts of violating his oath as a public officer. Olson's wife became visibly upset and was escorted out of the courtroom. Anthony's friends and family maintained their composure, however many of them were visibly crying. Although Olson was found guilty on the lesser charges, Anthony's family was disappointed with the acquittal on the murder charges. One of the jurors, and the only black man on the jury, spoke to the press after the verdict was read. He said that he realized quickly that although he believed Olson was guilty of murder, there were other jurors who would not convict Olson on these counts. He was quoted saying, There was only so much I could do, and I was disturbed. At some point in time, just hearing him say self-defense was one of the hardest things any man of color could endure. A naked man doesn't pose a threat to a trained cop. When we call a cop, we expect a cop to de-escalate a situation, 
and not to turn to the deadliest arsenal on his belt, and that's where he went wrong. He also said that a black woman on the jury broke down in tears when they realized there was no way that they would all agree on a conviction for the murder charges. He hoped that guilty verdicts for the other charges may help bring about much-needed change. And then he addressed Olson's charge of making a false statement directly, saying, Once you lie, it's hard to believe anything else, and that's what I was going off of. It was the lies, and it helped me make my decision a lot more quickly. Olson faced a max sentence of 35 years, and the prosecution recommended 25. When it finally came time to hand down Olson's sentence, the judge spoke directly to Anthony's parents and commended them on their patience during the lengthy, years-long court proceedings. She mentioned that the prosecution had offered Olson a plea deal with a 15-year sentence, which they did not accept. Citing the jury's decision to find Olson not guilty on the murder charges, the judge sentenced Olson to 12 years in prison, 8 years on probation, and a lifetime ban on owning firearms or working in law enforcement. Olson is also prohibited from profiting off of the case, such as through a book deal or other means. This case is just one example of excessive and illegal force used by a police officer. Although it is just one example, it illustrates a problem that is endemic throughout law enforcement in the United States. What makes this case rare is that Olson was tried and convicted of anything at all. Everyone who knew Anthony Hill knew him to be a sweet, loving person who cared deeply for his family and for his community. He fought for our country, and he was an avid supporter of law enforcement. However, in the midst of a mental health crisis, and when he needed help the most, he was failed by the DeKalb County Police Department by an officer who violated his oath to protect. Although the person who killed him was brought to trial, he evaded the most serious charge, giving Anthony's family only partial justice. As I mentioned before, this case was covered extensively by the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and is the subject of Season 7 of their podcast, Breakdown. I would suggest checking that out if you would like a deeper dive, especially into the trial proceedings of how this case unfolded. And that wraps up the show for this week. Thank you for listening. For more information on this episode, visit the website misconductpodcast.com. You'll find links to source material and further reading on this episode and more information about misconduct. If you have a second, head on over to my social media pages and let me know what you think about this week's episode and share your thoughts and opinions with other listeners. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at MisconductPod. And if you have a case you would like to see covered, I have a case submission tab on my website. You can find a link to it in the show notes, and I really like taking suggestions from listeners. So submit a case, and I will do my best to cover it on an upcoming episode.
How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.